started in here. Torres oh! to give Chelsea a place in the Champions League final. Release the Kraken! Hello and welcome to another week of Action Replay Extra Time. Today we'll be talking Conor McGregor and things that last longer than Jose Aldo. We speak to Brendan O'Brien from the Irish Examiner on everything rugby. We speak Champions League, Premier League and of course our back pay segment. I'm joined in studio by Jack O'Toole, Gavin O'Callaghan and Brian McGinn on the decks. Lads, start off with the fight. What a night to be Irish. What do you make of it? Well, I wish I could watch it live. I think I stayed up till about half four in the morning and then fell asleep. Just I kind of wish Romero. I didn't watch it live. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could have watched it the next morning. But yeah, such such a, a tremendous mm-hmm. night for for Irish sport and MMA in the total. And I think everyone was kind of everyone was kind of like literally bitching on Facebook, saying, "Oh, he's made this much millions for thirteen seconds." But he's been doing this for a long time, and and he's seen this fight coming. And and fair play to him, he knew exactly what Aldo was going to do, and he punished him in in just magnificent fashion so it was a great knockout spectacular win and, and well deserving and it's uh, it's it's hard to see him slowing down from here because you got to remember like Jose Aldo has been literally the pound for pound best featherweight fighter in, in history like the last 10 years I think he's, he's been unbeaten so it's uh, it was ridiculously quick and I do think Aldo's entitled to a rematch and I'm hoping it's brought over this way rather than in Vegas I think we've got to have a rematch I don't think 13 seconds was enough for anybody even as a, even as an Irish fan I don't mm. think you want to kind of you want to see a better fight you, know you want to I mean? see him win the title but I'm, geez, I'm definitely not going to be one of these people that complain about a 13 second knockout like if you can get <laughs> someone out there in 15 seconds like oh, oh all yeah. good for you, you know I'm I mean? just going to complain that I didn't go to bed wake up then watch it and then <laughs> go back to bed as opposed to staying up all night but um, yeah, I suppose it's going to happen it's easy enough to complain that it only lasted 13 seconds or whatever but you have to think about this that Aldo is unbeaten in a decade mm. he's been as you said the pound for pound champion and McGregor was able to do that and it takes it takes some amount of skill to actually predict and watch his movements and be able to like McGregor said timing uh, getting your timing right and getting your accuracy mm. right and I think all cre- all credit has to go to McGregor because he predicted it and he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He did, yeah. And see, this was one of the things. Like he brought in. I don't know if anyone watched watched any of the embedded videos, but he got like some weird yoga instructor in that was basically like a movement coach, mm. and they were kind of like doing all these dancing on the beach and they're doing like all these awkward kind of just just really unorthodox training that you'd see for MMA. But when you see McGregor get in the ring, I know it's only thirteen seconds, so it's not a whole lot to judge off. But the way he moves and he's really light in his feet, he's kind of bouncing. Back and forth, like he's really an elusive fighter, and he's um he's an incredible striker as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do now. There's talks of them waiting there for this weekend's fight, which is between Donald Cerrone and Rafael dos Anjos. So that's at lightweight. So it's either McGregor will fight the winner of that fight, or he'll fight Frankie Edgar, who looked spectacular in the night before he knocked out Chad Mendes. So it's going to be interesting now to see what they'll do. I think. I mean, did you guys you guys watch the way in it? Because McGregor looked he, each he looked time. So skinny. He, yeah, yeah, he looked like an AIDS patient more or less. Like he really. Was, you, you're not uh, talking about the Aldo fight here. I didn't think he looked as bad as before the Mendez fight. The Mendez fight. Was, he still looked like, he quite trained though. Yeah. Yeah, and see, this is what happens. He's got to put on... But he did look, in fairness to him, he, at the time the fight came around, he looked fairly back to his normal size, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? So he seems to be able to regenerate his bulk, more or less, in less than 24 hours. So I can imagine it's a lot of water weight where he's just... Mm. He's rehydrating and he seems to just put the weight back on. Yeah, I think uh, reports are saying that it was uh, 170 pounds in That's massive. When, when the fight happened. When so he's put on another 25 it, pounds yeah, in, a, was, in a day. Uh, that is ridiculous. So How, that, how do you do that, Pizza, that, maybe I don't know. That kind of shows like the effort he put into it, but that can't be healthy for your body, really, it can it? Can't be, but I mean, when you're making that much money, I mean, I'm sure it's a risk he's glad to take. You know yeah, what I mean? There's a lot on the yeah. line, so 
Um, but no, it, it doesn't it doesn't look healthy and it doesn't look like a natural weight cut. And what they've done now, what they used to do is actually they used to let them do IVs. So they'd hook them up to an IV drip and then, you know, they could, that's a, that was an easier way of putting on a lot of the water weight, but they can't do it now. So I don't know exactly what McGregor's doing to put on weight, but it's obviously working for him. But I think he's more naturally suited to... 155 pounds um, now I think the UFC will want him to do a title defence or a rematch against yeah. Aldo or a fight with Frank Edgar but I think he's more naturally suited for 155 because even his coach John Kavanagh says that's the last time he wants him cutting to 145 he says it's just it's not it's not healthy it's not a long term success plan because you got to consider he's 27 so 26 or 27 so he's still got another probably 7 or 8 years left yeah mm. Um, and just going off the Frankie Edgar thing, he he's kind of earned his uh, title defense or title fight at this stage. Do you think? Do you not think that he's he's more deserving of a match than Aldo is of a rematch? Saying that Aldo like got knocked out after thirteen seconds. Yeah, it's a fair point, but I I personally think that Aldo's been champion for long enough, and he's he's just had so many great title fights that I think. Just like other people, I think Cain Velasquez got an immediate rematch. There's been other people, Anderson Silva got an immediate rematch against Wideman. I think he's deserving in that same breath to get an immediate rematch. But if they don't do an immediate rematch, because Aldo's been quite troublesome for the UFC, because he's, he's, he's I think he pulled out of like five title fights or something like that. So And he doesn't, he's not a huge pay-per-view draw, well, apart from this one, but that's more because of McGregor. Um, so... I'm not too sure how they'll go about it, but I think that if Edgar gets the shot, it's well-deserving. And Edgar is probably the biggest threat to McGregor, I feel, because he's a really good wrestler. Um, and the closest we've seen McGregor to losing has been against Chad Mendes, where he could have probably easily got knocked out um, on the ground. So I think when you say threat, though, do you mean genuine chance of winning, or he might? Last I think Mendes had rounds. a Mendes had a genuine chance of winning. He was just he had two weeks to train, and he was starting to gas out. And then mm. he went, he took him down, and he tried his best to knock out McGregor. And when he didn't get the knock out, McGregor got back to his feet. McGregor just like adrenaline, and you know Mendes just gassed, and then McGregor just finished him off. Mm. Like you can't if you gas against McGregor, it's only going to be literally a matter of seconds before he knocks you out. Like he's just he's too good of a striker. But I think if you got Frankie Edgar on a full train training camp um, I think he's probably the best chance of beating McGregor because I think he just McGregor's one biggest glaring weakness seems to be his takedown defence because he actually seemed to survive on the ground but I think if you can continually take him down that's probably the best format to beat him yeah, you're gonna. I think you're gonna have to give him at least six months to prepare for the match as yeah. well as mm-hmm. McGregor's gonna need that time as well uh, he's talking about moving up uh, moving up a weight division though uh, do you, how do you think that's gonna impact on him yeah, like I said before, I think it's a more natural weight class for him, and and that that weight class is absolutely loaded. Like you've got some serious killers in in that in that weight class in one fifty five. You've got obviously guys like like I said, Cerrone and Rafael dos Anjos, but you've also got guys like Anthony Pettis. And I think for anyone who's watched any Anthony Pettis fights, that would be a dream matchup to see McGregor versus Pettis. For those who don't know Pettis, he's basically a bit like McGregor, but he's probably the quickest fighter in the UFC like he's just an absolute he'd be one of these guys that if he wasn't a UFC fighter it'd be like he'd be a professional boxer he'd be a professional basketball player he'd be doing like something um, he's just one of those rare incredible athletes so I think the the chance of having them to square off would be an absolute dream so there's a lot of really good fights they can make but pretty much any stage of this fight any, any, any fight you make with McGregor at this stage is going to be mm-hmm. a massive fight it's going to sell it's going to yeah, sell, it's gonna sell yeah. that's what the UFC want and that's why they love him yeah yeah uh, but we'll we'll move on to uh, a new segment, but it's just a, a once-off thing because it's it, time. <laughs> it took 13 seconds to knock him out. So we're going to try and name as many things as we can that last longer than Jose Aldo did in that fight. Oh. I'll, I'll move it over to Gav. You can go first. It's time! David Moyes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, any Chelsea manager in the last five years? Um, how uh, how fast it is to predict uh, whether McGregor's going to win or not? Walking from the dressing room to the stage. Uh, peel a banana. I'm going to say that's going to be roughly around maybe 13 seconds. It's going to be generous. <laughs> and he goes slowly, maybe. Uh, how long it takes Chelsea to consider goal this year? Dory's memory in finding Nima. Uh, put a pizza. I'm just thinking all food based here. <laughs> I think it's because I'm a bit hungry, but I put on 25 pounds. <laughs> Hopefully not. Uh, a South Dublin person to walk away from you when you say you're from North Dublin. <laughs> so it, uh, Leon Jackson's career. 
Um, oh jeez, I'm not too sure. Um, a ping pong rally. Um, uh, a penny's umbrella in Guildford Friends. The piss I just took five minutes ago. <laughs> well, after working in pennies, it takes longer than 13 seconds to realise what someone actually wants at pennies. <laughs> Um, following a pint of Guinness. Pack of chewing gum in primary school. Uh, to drink a pint of Guinness. Oh. I think that has to be 13 now, is it? Oh, that's plenty, yeah. <laughs> there, there's loads more, but... Capri Suns. Balotelli putting on a bib. <laughs> How long it takes John Terry to cheat on his wife when his wife moves it, when his wife goes out for dinner. <laughs> Hot noodles. Yeah. Popcorn, chicken. Okay, so I think we have plenty there, lads. Uh, we'll move it on to rugby now. We have Bre- Brendan O'Brien from the Irish Examiner on the phone. Brian, how are you? Hello, Brendan. How are you? Thanks very much for joining us today. We really appreciate having you on. No problem at all. Brendan, just turned to the Champions Cup on the weekend. A lot to cover with, obviously, Leinster, Ulster and Munster. Obviously, great result for Ulster, but not so much for Leinster and Munster. Just mm-hmm. with regards to the uh, Toulon game, Leinster fell short again, and obviously this time Toulon, they were outclassed at the breakdown and were very ill-disciplined. What has gone wrong with them this season? Yeah, I think I think you're right to kind of focus on those two areas. And I think you can add to that as well, the, the deterioration in their skills as well. Um, and it's that kind of combination that... I, I would kind of look at it. It's, it's that kind of drop in skill levels from when Joe Schmidt was there, and I think that's kind of evident in in the real discipline as well. They've kind of they're not as sharp as they used to be. They're not as full on as they used to be, um, and I think that's it's just a general drop in standards, which is basically infiltrating the entire team and the entire area. And when you see somebody like Jonathan Sexton have as much of a mayor as he did um, at the weekend in Toulon, I think that speaks volumes for for what's going on. And you know this has been—it's not like this has happened overnight either. Either you know, I mean, the two years of the Matt O'Connor era, arguably Leinster gave up maybe two really good performances. You can look back at that era and look at Northampton away and the Pro 12 final against Glasgow at home. And apart from that, you're kind of scratching around for for games when Leinster really played as well as they can. So this has been a long time coming, and what we saw at the Stad Mayall was just the latest chapter in it. And the really annoying thing as well is that had they been a little bit sharper in doing what they were doing. Um, they could have very easily created a, or, or taken a, an absolutely massive scalp. Because mm, Toulon weren't very good at all. They probably weren't like the Toulon that we were expecting. And uh, the lineup mm. in particular was quite shaky. So there was definitely opportunities for their, for Leinster to, to, to take advantage of. But unfortunately, they didn't. Now, when we turn to some of the players that were sent off, well, were Simbind, Keen Healy was one of them. And it was a fairly unnecessary dismissal. Mm. I mean, it was quite an unnecessary <laughs> knee. And it's, something, it's not the first time we've seen something like this from Healy as well. <laughs> um, with his performances, is, do you think it's time that Jack McGrath displaces him from the number one jersey for both Leinster and Ireland? Because he hasn't really looked the same since returning from his hamstring injury yeah I, I go along fully with that um, you know I think you're right about Healy I mean ever since the the issues over his fitness during the summer with the, the complications from the neck surgery and his hand and everything else like that um, you know let's face it if it was anything other than a, a rugby world cup he probably wouldn't he wouldn't have been rushed back that quickly because he wouldn't have been needed that that early in, in, in the season um, and he hasn't been the player he was and we've seen this with other guys before yeah. Sean O'Brien um, pops to mind a guy who had a very average run of form for a long time until he covered during the World Cup mm. so I definitely think Jack McGrath is a guy who should be setting, stepping in for, for Leinster at the moment and you can look elsewhere around the Leinster team as well I mean it was very unfortunate that uh, Luke McGrath was injured in my opinion I think we might have seen I would have, I'd like to think we would have seen Luke McGrath start in the last couple of weeks had he not picked up those injuries um, you look at Josh van der Flyer or Fleer, whichever way you want to pronounce it, and the impact that he has had. And this is a Leinster team that clearly needs a dose of fresh, fresh energy. Mm. And it's not like they don't have some players to step into the breach. And van der Flyer has shown particularly what can be done with somebody new and hungry um, to step into a team that is clearly not operating at full tilt and clearly has a number of very good guys not playing as well as they can and were maybe still suffering the effects of that World Cup. 
Do you think it's time to promote some youth then? Because like you do have guys, you mentioned McGrath, you also have guys like Gary Ringrose, Josh van der Fleer. Do you think if Leinster aren't going to be competitive, they might as well give some of these young guys a, a, a good run in some decent games? Yeah, I don't think it'll happen this weekend. Um, you have 42,000 or so tickets sold for, mm. for their game against Toulon in, in the Aviva. And um, rightly or wrongly, there, there would be a perception that if you drafted in a number of the young fellas, that, um, that you might be shortchanging people. I wouldn't agree with that. If I was a Leinster supporter, I'd be looking at it and thinking, I want to see Gary Ringrose and Vanderflyer and all these guys come in and give, give us a bit of energy. But I don't see that happening just in, in the way that Leo Cullen has picked his team in, in recent weeks. I think mm. he'll stick with a lot of the guys he has. Uh, there will be some changes. That's the nature of ru- uh, professional rugby on a weekly basis. And uh, So I think you're looking at maybe further down the line. But even, even just from talking to these guys in press conferences in recent weeks, they're, they're highlighting this kind of 16-week run of games that they had, which was broken, obviously, when the, the Glasgow game was, was called off. But they're even reeling off these teams. We have Toulon home and away. We have Munster. We have Connacht. We have Ulster and all these teams. And it just seems to me that they're kind of thinking, we need to get through this 16-week block of games. That means playing our best players. And the other side of looking at that as well is come January and what are going to be two dead rubbers against Bath and Wasps, you could say then that's the perfect time that is the perfect time to start bringing in these younger guys and resting the older players but the flip side of that is that you're going to have Joe Schmidt looking over the shoulder going hold on I don't want my guys sitting Mm. out two or three weeks in a row in January when we have a Six Nations in February so there's the Ireland point of view to bring into it as well which obviously complicates matters so Mm. ideally yeah bring in all the young guys but we live in a real professional world of rugby here and I don't see that happening in any great sense Mm. Although I do think we'll see a few more of them drift in and out of the, of the team in, in, in the weeks to come. Now, um, Brendan, one of Lens's best players against Ulster a couple of weeks ago was Luke Fitzgerald, and he was in the wing then, but he's been he was shifted to 12 on the weekend. He did look quite comfortable for large parts of the game. Would you like to see him make a permanent move to the centres, either at outside or inside? And do you think that he'll keep switching between the wings and centres? Because you could imagine that his best chance of getting in an Ireland jersey would probably be on the wing. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a funny one, and it's something we've spoken to Luke Fitzgerald about many, many times before. I think, personally, he would love a, a stint at inside centre. I think that's where he sees himself. Mm. If you talk to Luke Fitzgerald, one of the things he will always say to you is that he prides himself on his defence, which obviously in that kind of you know hustle-bustle engine room of midfield is, is hugely important. Um, like you say, he was very impressive, I thought, against, uh, against Toulon at the weekend. He's been impressive in patches uh, in recent weeks as well, and you could probably look back on the World Cup and think, you know, I should have got a bit more game time. Um, I, I think, you know, you can look at somebody else like Keith Earls on this as well. Where's he better suited? I think the argument with Earls is probably more clear-cut. He could play in the wing, which would probably suit him better. But, um, you know, it, it, with Fitzgerald, it's hard to know. He would say centre, but he can do a job in the wing. And I don't see him, you know, being nailed down to one position. I think he's too valuable a commodity for Leinster and for Ireland, for either Leo, Leo Cullen or Joe Schmidt to say, right, Luke Fitzgerald is a 12 or a 13 rather than a wing. I think we're going to see him flit in and out of that position for for a while longer to come. And then you have to look at it as well, guys. I mean, you have probably Robbie Henshaw arriving from Connacht during during the summer. Will Ben Teo go? Options are, or the, the likelihood is he will go as well. So it will depend on, on as, as it always does in rugby or in any team sport, it will depend on the options available to the coach in other positions. So for now, I think I would love to see him get a really strong run at 12. I think it's a very interesting combination with himself and Ben Teo, who's also been very, very impressive for Leinster. Um, and I, like I say, it's just a pity that he'll probably move on. Brendan, Munster showed a number of lapses in concentration against Leicester on the weekend. The Youngs and Fitzgerald tries were quite appalling, to be honest. Uh, their Pro 12 form has been fairly good, but they're hardly consistent. Would you give them any chance of qualifying at this stage? Uh, very, very little. Um, the, the best, the best thing you could say about Monster at the moment—not the best thing, but what one kind of chink of light that you could say is that with the postponed games against or postponed game against Stad, that's going to have three games in a row, European games in a row for them, and you just wonder how Stad will will react to that. Um, we all know about French teams in Europe. You know, Stad have a kind of a love-hate affair with with Europe. Mm. Um, going going back down the years, so that that might be something that maybe Munster are looking at, thinking mm, there's something we can do there. You'd have to look at it though, and you'd think they have to go to Welford Road at the weekend and and get some sort of a result against the Leicester Tigers. Um, 
going by how they played at the weekend and unfortunately I didn't see much but I was actually over in Toulon and I was scrambling around desperately trying to find an Irish pub that would show it and I failed so I only saw bits and pieces of it but going by the bits I saw and going by everything I've read and I've heard about it you would have to say it's a huge ask to see Munster come back and, and claim, claim, a, claim a scalp in Welford Road yeah, with, with CJ Stander being one of their best players all year, do you think he has a good chance of breaking into the Ireland squad or do you think that that spot still firmly belongs to Heaslip? That, that's, that's a fascinating one. I thought Heaslip was very good um, good at the weekend against Toulon. Um, you know, he made a lot of tackles, made a lot of carries, made a turnover that I can remember. Um, and of course, Heaslip's form and his abilities as a number eight are, as you, you guys know, it's 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 a great divider in Irish rugby. Some people think he's fantastic at what he does. Some people think, what does he do? Um, but what you can't deny is the fact that for all our great resources in the back row in Irish rugby in recent years, he has virtually gone unchallenged at the number eight. I, I remember Robin Copeland coming back from Cardiff to Munster and people saying, he's a really, yeah, look, maybe he can challenge Heaslip, but he never has been. Mm. So I think it's fantastic that Stander has stepped up I would love to see Stander get um, some game time in the Six Nations. I think he will. He's certainly for the extended squad, obviously. Um, and, you know, I, I think, will he usurp Heaslip in, in the short term? I don't think so. But um, I think he's a great option to have there. And it's hard to see. It's hard to see. I, he would probably make more of an impact for Ireland in the November internationals. Uh, next year when we have four games on two against New Zealand and Canada and Australia but he's definitely I mean like you say he's the foreign player for, for Munster and has been for a number of, number of months now maybe a number of years uh, and it's just great to see I think Jamie Heaslip is one of those guys who could probably do a little bit of competition Yeah and um, Munster they also have a fairly potent back three in Andrew Conway Simon Zebo and Keith Earls but they seem to struggle to create in the 10 and 12 channels do you think Keatley and Hurley limit Munster's backline, or would that be an unfair statement? Yeah, look, you have to look at it, and you have to be honest. There's been questions asked about Ian Keatley at the top level for, for years now. Um, Dennis Hurley as well is seen as somebody who's a good, solid player and a good pro, but he's not going to change games for you. So I think that's a very fair comment to make. Uh, and like you say, with those guys out in the back three, um, they're just busting a gut to try and be released and see some ball. So I think that's a perfectly fair comment. And if you look at Munster uh, since O'Gara left, unfortunately, their 10 hasn't been a guy that they've felt comfortable with uh, or their fans haven't felt comfortable with running the game for them. And we saw that in, in very very stark circumstances on uh, on Saturday night with a section of the crowd in Tome and booing, booing Keatley off. So that's obviously an area that has to be addressed for Munster, whether it's Ian Madigan going down there or Tyler Blaindale or whatever coming in and, and, and having some sort of effect there. But if Munster don't do something about the number 10 position, they're not going to go anywhere in the long term. And Ian Keatley, a lovely, lovely guy, really, really sound chap, uh, and a good rugby player as well. But we've seen now too many times at this level that can he be depended on to lead your team at 10 and with a 12 like Dennis Hurley it's obviously not going to work for them so that is probably the area that Munster need to need to focus on mostly now in this contract season as well this is the critical time for them not just for this season but for next season and I think for them to prosper going forward then that 10-12 channel you're right I think it has to change and Brendan, just going up to Ulster, they were a bright spot for Irish rugby at the weekend. They trounced Toulouse uh, 38-0 at the Kingspan. Uh, they lost in Henderson, and they were very they were very ordinary looking against Leinster a few weeks ago. Given that, how impressive was their performance? Uh, how impressive. 38-0, the first time Toulouse were ever <laughs> in the European competition. It was sensational, really. Um, and, and all the more sensational, like you say, because it kind of it, it lit a fuse under Irish rugby and when you look at how Munster and Leinster went again subsequently over the weekend it really does stand up head and shoulders above everything else um, I thought it was a fantastic performance um, great to see Paddy Jackson playing like he did the, the quality of his passing zipping it off both hands was absolutely superb and just a great great example to the rest of the provinces that things can be turned around I mean you talked about their, their performance I was at that game in the RDS against Leinster they weren't very impressive you, you look at their, their opening uh, European game against Saracens they were simply blown away this is a very good Toulouse team and I know people can say 
they weren't interested or whatever, but they were very competitive for the first 20, 30 minutes. Um, there was a stage there where it could have been 10-6. Toulouse could have been on on, on the the, uh, the Ulster line. It went to the far end of the pitch, and the next thing it's 17-0 at halftime, and it's game over. And it will be game over yeah. in that stage against the French team away from home. But I, I think it's important to point out that Toulouse did come to play, and they did have a, have a go at it. And you look at the quality of that team they played. The only the only worry for for Ulster now is going over to Toulouse. What sort of reaction will you get from that French team? Hard to say, but but an absolutely fantastic night in in uh, in the Kingspan. Yeah. I was going to call it Ravenhill there for a minute. Ah, uh, well, you could still call it that. Look, <laughs> uh, look, Marshall and Stuart McCluskey. Uh, they look fairly impressive in the centre and. Uh, Ulster seem to have a very potent backline in general. Uh, how do how do they avoid uh, results like they had in the RDS a few weeks ago? How do they avoid results like that? Yeah. Well, I think if you look at just like I, I touched on uh, the performances of Pinar and um, and Paddy Jackson um, were were just sensational. I mean, if you have a nine and a ten, we've talked about we've touched on Johnny Sexton as it is. We've talked about Ian Keatley. There are serious question marks over both. Nine ten axes for Leinster and Munster because if you look at Leinster as well, you have two very aging scrum halves and Luke McGrath who's injured. So that nine ten axis for Munster and Leinster are areas of considerable considerable concern. So if you have a kind of a, a combination like Pinar and Jackson playing like they do on the back of a pack that's going forward, giving them quick ball, um, you know that's that's all going to give you a great chance even against the likes of Toulouse or Toulon or whoever. Um, so, yeah, I I I I just think it was a very impressive performance. Um, but you know, having said all that about Ulster, if they don't win in Toulouse at the weekend, they're still fighting a fighting an uphill battle to actually get out of their group. So it's still very very much uh, delicately delicately balanced for them. Yeah, exactly. And they also have to go to Saracens. So given mm. given that, uh, how do how do you rate their chances of qualifying? I I I'd be very worried for their chances to be quite honest. Um, you know, Saracens away. We've seen what they did to Munster last season as well. Um, you know, Saracens are looking. I hate to say it. I'm not their biggest fans of the club or how they play the game, but I think they're they're really looking good to be at least finalists again this year. Um, I don't think Ulster will get much joy over there. I think a lot will therefore depend on this weekend if they can go to to Toulouse. Excuse me. If they can go to Toulouse and do something, and who's to say they can't? Um, yeah, that gives them a great chance. If they lose in Toulouse, I think they're fighting an uphill battle, basically. Finally, Brennan, just before we let you go, thanks very much for joining us. Um, we were talking to Rory O'Connor from The Independent last week, and we just wanted to get your opinion on this. With regards to the Irish captaincy, who do you succeed? Who do you see as succeeding Paul O'Connell as, I suppose, the natural successor to the Irish captaincy? Uh, I'd like to see Rory Best get it. Um, I, I tend not to use the word deserve in, in professional sport because I don't think it has much to do with, with anything, but he's definitely earned it. Um, he's a guy who has been ultra um, consistent for, for Ulster and for Ireland. He's a great guy, really, really sound guy, speaks very well, he's popular in the camp. Um, he's nailed on starter for his team, which is obviously um, something that is uh, a must for any captain of any team. And I know he's in his early thirties at this stage. Um, it probably won't see. He, he probably won't see the next World Cup. But I think I don't think you can kind of look at a captain now as somebody who will lead you in Japan in 2019. I think Rory Best is is, is the standout captain for me. People will obviously say Jamie Heaslip. He's captain of his country and his club before. Um, I just think Best deserves it. And I think if you give it to him for a couple of years, um, then you're looking at guys like maybe Peter Amani. Connor Murray, maybe guys like that mm-hmm. down the line to take you through to 2019. Um, so, yeah, I'd like Rory Best. He's in the right position. He's, he's in the scrum. He's in perfect position geographically to get in the referee's ear. Um, he's, <laughs> he's done it for Ulster um, and a nice guy. I just, I just think it's clear cut for me. Yeah, I'd, I'd be of the same opinion. I think it's going to be best for the short term and then maybe Peter O'Matney down further down the line. But we'll wait and see. Yeah. Thanks for your time, Brendan. We really appreciate it. You can follow Brendan on Rackob. Is that right, on Twitter? Rackob on Twitter, that's right. Yeah. Rackob, and you can read Brendan's stuff on the Irish Examiner. Thanks very much for joining us, Brendan. Thank you. Anytime, guys. Thank Good you. Man. Lads, we'll move it on to football now. There have been loads and loads of football stories to discuss. But uh, we'll... St- We'll start it off with uh, Chelsea last night. They lost to Leicester uh, at 
uh, at was at home or it away? Was at the King's, King's Power. Power. I was at King's the King's Power. Power so King's Power. they went away to they went away to Leicester and they lost. Uh, given given Jose's comments after the game, do you think that uh, his departure is going to be inevitable at this stage, or do you think he has any hope of winning the dressing room back? Well, how could you possibly go on TV after a match? say that your dressing room has betrayed you and not done what you wanted them to do and then expect to win them over for the next game I don't see any way back for Jose Mourinho other than the fact that he is who he not is not this like. season I think if they if they stick with him this season and they see him through maybe next season he could you know that's a fresh start it's a new slate but at this at this stage could you see any like, other manager in the Premier League with no, the exception of Wenger will say coming out and saying that I think, but, like the, but the Arsenal fans have been notorious for getting Wenger out mm, at the slightest yeah. sign of trouble so I think I think Arsenal <laughs> fans would be having riots in the streets if it was like this yeah. at this stage but like if there's, if there's one manager that deserves this long of a leash it is Jose given his mm. track record but at this stage it's like but then like let's not let's not discredit Leicester like, let, like let's actually start I think in my opinion giving them props as a top of the table side because that's what they are at this stage and literally I, I think the two best players in the Premier League all season have been Jamie Vardy and Ryan Mara so what a they, goal yeah fantastic goal fantastic goal by Vardy I like the first and then the second one just Maris and Aspicoletta inside out and he's first been, touch as well to take it down before oh, he literally couldn't patience. decide he couldn't decide which way he wanted to go he's like I'm going to go left now I'm going to go right then I'm going to but back even left. just to and be then, what is he about eight yards from goal got two defenders around him there's still a bit of distance between him and, and the defenders and he's got a big Courtois as well he, wasn't, he didn't swing his leg in panic like he stayed calm he kind of composed himself he waited for the gap to come and it's mm. much easier said than done because most most yeah. strikers in that situation just want to get get the ball away from them towards the goal and that's it yeah, yeah. and even on the first goal like with Vardy's run he just completely he was like in between Terry and Zuma and he just completely mm. found the perfect space between them he shook Zuma off Terry didn't know where he was and he just literally just dinked at home. It was a great ball by Mares, but you really needed it. was more of Vardy's run to connect with it than the ball itself. And it was, you know, Cotal was hapless, couldn't do anything to stop it. So Yeah, exactly. Um, Ranieri is just, he's just doing such an unbelievable job there at Leicester. And it's, uh, yeah, it's... I'm really came from the bottom to the top as well. How yeah. do you go from Greece to topping the Premier League? Yeah, and it's even taking just... a Leicester team that, you know, like, let's be honest, like, you know, was struggling to, to fight for relegation, mm. survive relegation for most of the season last year. So it's, um yeah, really, truly incredible stuff coming out of the King Pass Stadium. Yeah, I think, uh, as Jack said, credit where credit is due. Leicester have been, for for me, the most uh, the most consistent team. They've Even when they've been drawing or losing they've been playing well and they've been playing attractive football and it just kind of leads me on to uh, my, my my team unfortunately uh, Man United <laughs> Van Hal is he, he's another man who seems to have lost the dressing room uh, how do you think their chances of when the Premier League are, are going yeah it's not great after getting dumped out of the Champions League during the week and then you know losing away to Dean's Court and we, I pretty much like I thought they'd go there with most of the possession mm-hmm. which they did but they just they were caught out once again and it's uh, it's a recurring theme this year with Man United and they're just they're really not firing Bournemouth wanted it more and you could tell from the thing they had the belief they had the home fans were going absolutely crazy like it was a really good it's a really good but they don't know if they'll there. be in the Premier League next season it is a case of just enjoy it now because when is the next time Manchester United yeah. will come here yeah, and then and then they had a couple more chances that they could have added. Like they had oh, Glenn definitely. Murray on, and, and he missed a couple of chances. There was one half volley that just dropped inside outside the sixty yard box. He could have easily put that away, and he was the he was the hero obviously last week against Chelsea. Um, so they, they had a they had an abundance of ch- and opportunities, and from an Irish perspective, it was really good to see Harry Arter play. Obviously, tragic circumstances losing his his newborn basically, um, or his kid just beforehand. Yeah. So he played tremendously well. But Harry Arter has been playing well. Literally since since last season, he's, mm. he was one of the one of Bournemouth's keys in getting promotion, and he was he's been pretty much since we're coming back from injury this season, he's been spectacular. So, um, it, um, a really good point on Bournemouth's point, but also probably sticking down further down the line with the Euros around the corner. I think Harry Ard has probably deserved at least a shot Completely, in the friendlies yeah. in the in the midfield. Completely, yeah. How many times have you ever seen someone score from a corner? Not too many. Once, and it was Beckham score once before Sunday league. <laughs> oh, uh, I've never seen it done. Thierry I've only ever seen it on YouTube. I haven't. It was the first time I've seen it live. Yeah, Thierry Henry did it a couple of years ago for the Red Bulls. I remember that was fairly spectacular. Oh, used to I be remember handy that. Yeah. That was a fairly stunning one. Uh, but just just going back on Van Hal, I mean, 
Giggs, Keane, Ferdinand, Scholes, pretty much every one of the key players for United in the past 10 years have been criticising the way United have been playing and I myself have been so frustrated with the way United are playing. I know they've got nine injuries, uh, but at the end of the day, spent £260 million, they expect to see some sort of fight in the players. The players just don't seem to want to want to play under this style. They seem to rigid. They, the they don't seem to have any freedom at all to play the way they want to play, especially... The, you got the flair players like Depay and and Mata, and you saw it with Di Maria, Di Maria as well. And they, they, when you get into that position, you don't want to be rigid. You don't want to be going back. You want to be attacking the defence mm. and going at going at the players. And I think that's what United's been missing this year is just the freedom to actually do what you can do and show that you can just go around a player and stick it in net. And I mean, Van Hal's not letting United do that. I think the injuries are a big point as well because it's not it is a vastly different Manchester United team you got Guillermo Varela in there you had Cameron Boltwick Jackson um, Nick Powell came off the bench Andre Pereira like the people that we really haven't seen too much in the United jersey mm. before and when you bring guys like no offence to Nick Powell I'm sure he's a good young player but he's not that like he's not like bringing Paul goals off the bench like, no, it's not it's like that. oh well here comes Nick Powell he's going to get us a goal like, he's going <laughs> to get us equaliser you just never got that feeling and there's just there's you'll never win anything with kids yeah yeah, yeah well, they said that before didn't they um, but I think this is a different group to that group and, but oh, I, look, completely it, yeah I mean I'll, I'll eat my words if I'm proven wrong but it's um, I think the injury crisis is really hurting them at the moment um, I mean with Rooney out with, you got Schweinsteiger out there's a couple of people um, that, they're, that they're missing and you can you can definitely see it the good news for them is that Smalling the Premier well. League isn't off the table for anybody yeah bizarrely they, I yes. think if they, if they won at this stage they'd have to be just thinking off six of points head. off the top but like. they'd be the worst they'd be the worst Premiership side like Premiership yeah. winning side that I could think of if they win with this group at the moment like it'd be Van Gaal would be a hero <laughs> I think. Like, as weird as it is to say because a lot of people are kind of calling for the exact opposite but if I he know. won with this current group at the moment um, despite all the money he spent, like it's been a ridiculous amount. He's of been money. found out, really. Yeah, yeah it's he just really not, it's not working. His tactics, like, I mean, and the genius thing was yeah. just always going to fall off at some point. Like, sort of, like it was always trust the process, and now is it's so like it's that. Like, I think the process. Eighteen, what's he been in the job now? Eighteen months, I think. Eighteen it's, months. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's long enough to decide whether it's been working or not, and it's quite clear the fans aren't happy with it. Um, the players seem to be resisting it. Um, the signings are failures. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're grinding some results out, but like, they're, they're not... And I think Rio made a good point. You're used to talking about United in the same breath as the Barcelonas, the Real Madrids, <laughs> the PSGs, the AC Milans of old. Mm. Like, they're one of the Europe's absolute elite clubs. And at the moment, this just seems to be... Um, they really just seem to be kind of falling and just rapidly. They don't. They don't really seem. They definitely don't seem like a team that's even close to contending in Europe. And and bizarrely, they've been probably fortunate that the Premiership is such a up and down, topsy turvy league. Because in Premiership years gone by, you can imagine this United team would be very much in line with you know mm. the David Moyes team yeah. a couple of years ago. And uh, also, I think uh, United's position is just is what's hanging hanging Van Hal up there like that's that's the only reason he's still there in my opinion and just going on the on the younger players if Varela ends up the next Gary Neville I will eat my hat <laughs> <laughs> I will I will eat my I will eat the microphone I'm yeah. talking into right now uh, I think it's just it's <laughs> not impressed he believes he believes in his philosophy and he believes in himself and he he's always had this uh, pompousness about him that what he was doing is right but it's just some of the decisions that, that he's making is just uh it just confuses me a lot. I mean, against Wolfsburg, it's probably the biggest Champions League match we've had since maybe the final against Barcelona in in uh, two thousand and ten, or the semi-finals, or and and he chose to start Varela in left back ahead of Ashley Young, who have who has experience in, in left back. Yeah. Varela hadn't played a senior game before that. Why throw him in at the deep end? And yeah. and he was at fault for the for the first two goals and. It just it just confused me as a as a fan watching that why he chose to do that. Do you think it's an ego thing with Van Hal, right? Because if you, Are you rewind back to the Ajax days, well, I'm thinking back to the 2014 World Cup, right? And yeah. say that penalty shootout with Costa Rica and that Tim Krul substitution. Mm. If Tim Krul lets in all five penalties and they lose that, then he's not so much of a genius anymore. 
exactly. Yeah, and do you think like you're bringing Although on Nick Powell, you're like, starting Valera? Do you think this is his attempt to just do something outrageous? And if it works, he'll get so much praise for it. But it's just yeah. not worked out for him this I, time. I think it is an egotistical thing, and he's always had that. Even in his Ajax days and his Barca days, he's always had that ego uh, that he's a genius and he believes wholeheartedly in his philosophy. But it's just not worked out for him at United. Yeah, it seems to be different. Going on your point, Gav, with the 2014 World Cup, I, I, I understand where you come from, but they did absolutely just destroy Spain in the group stages. Yeah. I think it was like 5-1 or something. Um, but so, the United team compared to that Holland, what oh, Holland did to that Spanish team are two completely yeah, different yeah. teams. Well, then also you got to remember you had an absolute mm-hmm. on top of their games, Iron Robin and Van Persie yeah. in that World Cup. Van Persie was just incredible in that World Cup. Yeah. Um, and then I think it's more back to the <clears throat> I think with, with regards to playing like the likes of Borthwick Jackson and, and Valletta Varela and stuff like that and Pereira I think one obviously the injury crisis is kind of conducive towards it so it's obviously it's easier because it's like well you know mm. the numbers are dropping so someone's got to step in and play but I think but yeah, this is that's he's had a transfer window to sort that out I mean this is Manchester yeah, United they need the backup players it's not like if Leicester get a few injuries and they're stuck I mean yeah, Chelsea yeah, yeah. get a few injuries they no, have that, the backups that's, that's why you spend 300 million that's why you spend the money you have like, if, they have depth if you look at the difference in say even Liverpool to United if uh, Sturridge is out injured Benteke comes in if Benteke is injured or easy can come in if Alana gets injured Danny Ings healthy. come in yeah. they have strength and depth and so do City City you see it Aguero, Boney mm. uh, Sterling you can bring in De Bruyne you can bring in Fernando you can bring in well, Delph if we look at his, and these his, players are able to transition into the same philosophy and yeah. you just can't see that with United well because they have, they've sold they've sold or loaned mm. out their, their, their backup options they, they sold like Yavi Hernandez just w- got like the player of the month in the okay. month <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly you know. they're struggling to score goals yet they sell <laughs> they sell Hernandez to Bayern Leverkusen and he Jan wins Uzai he, out of Dortmund as well Jan Uzai yeah. out of Dortmund who's another uh, creative player for uh, them like, like that's not going too and, well for him either and no. Wilson Wilson to uh, Brighton. to Brighton and he scored two goals mm-hmm. in three games and mm. uh, obviously uh, I'm not going to say that Wilson could replace the likes of Rooney or Martial or whatever but uh, it's still proven goal scorers I think Wilson's been on the fringes too long though that he does need to be brought in given he, more he, of a chance he's at a stage though where he needs regular football now it's, like it's been about three seasons now of this guy lurking in the back who's going to be big in a few years and it's just yeah. like he's not been put on the pitch in any, yeah, really he needs to and it, I think it is a bit of the problem though with the Premier League and like we were kind of talking a bit earlier off air about Gary Monk it's just you're just not given a huge lease of time. It's no. the one league in the world where it's just it's the most sink or swim league, and we've seen it time and time again. If you're not performing, I mean, look at how many ch- strikers Chelsea went through for years. It's like if you if you can't put any consistent run of games, you're out. Like bye. Mm. So yeah, exactly. it's um yeah, it's going to be an interesting situation. I think like obviously like some signings have really come off. Like the Martial signing, you know, at time looked outrageous. It's like you're going to sign someone for thirty six million. Just had four shots in four games or something like that. But mm. he's he's come good. And there's a couple of other young players that are coming. There was a lot of clauses on the Martial signing though that made it not too yeah. bad. Yeah, that's the I thing about the Martial though. Uh, Van Hal said he hadn't seen him play. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely like just I I I just struggle to come to terms with that statement like as it being true because I just can't see spending 36 million on someone and having not seen him play I'd have to think he'd at mm. least at the very least watch some YouTube highlights I think yeah. that was a Woodward, a Woodward move though because we all remember the deadline day and all the yeah. the crap that went with Woodward around that because yeah. obviously he flew to Barcelona Chelsea pipped him for Pedro and then that was my favourite like, oh we have this surprise fella I love the along. fact that they got pipped for Pedro and then he was just like oh, oh actually we were scouting Neymar yeah. <laughs> you know, so you know they had to and it was almost as if signing Martial although no one ever heard of him it was kind of like maybe if we spend this much money on him people will believe he's big and it's worked out for them and to be fair isn't it does 10 million of that transfer goes over once he scores X amount of goals I can't remember what oh, it is I, but I it's not, not it's not too it. remarkable Ten another ten million comes has to be paid over to Monaco if they win the Champions League, I believe, and then okay. the last ten million goes if Martial well, we, wins the Ballon d'Or. Yeah. So it's not uh, the worst transfer in the world. Well, uh, they're certainly not going to win the Champions League, so they're safe enough there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we'll move on to the Champions League draw. Uh, do you think this is probably City's best chance to? actually go somewhere in the competition and make Definitely. a name for themselves in Europe yeah I do but then again because like before we got on on the air basically today I was looking to see what the draw was like and what basically both sides of the draw so who would Chelsea 
sorry, who would City potentially get in the quarterfinals? And that's still yet to be determined. So, well, I think they should easily get rid of Kiev. Who knows who they get in the quarters? Like, if they get stuck with, like, mm. you know, a Real Madrid, a Barca, a PSG, a Juve, like, I, I wouldn't really back them, to be honest. I think a lot of... I think Juventus are going to have a lot to do with who wins this Champions League because they're the only team I see that are kind of capable of putting up a stubborn performance against the likes of Barcelona or Bayern Munich mm. who will we'll see what happens with Bayern Munich now after that I don't really see any other team getting anything other than hammered if they come up against those two squads it's just the Juve style of play so it depends what way the quarterfinal draw goes and whether we can have a situation where we can reach a final or a semi-final where Juventus have kind of taken care of the two teams that nobody mm. else can and then after that it's anyone's game because City could push Juventus in a neutral venue I know like they lost at home and away to them but, but then you you'd know, be assuming it's, it's the final then you know what I mean? well like they could venue. meet them in a semi either or see where it goes from there but like they should really obviously quarterfinal draw pending mm. I think they'd have a chance they've beaten Bayern in the past I like City it's just and I do think like against Munch and Gladbach and against Seville they've had a really good couple yeah. of good nice Champions League games but they've been too inconsistent for me in the Premier League and they've been dropping too much and I think their midfield mm. sometimes is just is too frail to me I think so much depends on what Yaya Toure turns up like if you get yeah. if you get like the Yaya of two years ago that turns up I think City are genuine contenders that's the only trophy he's missing he should have some kind of incentive to go for it yeah, yeah. but I mean when we I watched City play Bayern Munich last in the Champions League and just hopelessly outclassed like they're mm. just and this is when like you know they were top of the Premier League so yeah. I think there's still a gulf in there and I think they need to have everyone fit and firing like you know they definitely need to have a fit and, and informed Sergio Aguero in mm. my opinion yeah and uh, poor poor old Arsenal again uh, oh getting, yeah getting they just their, can't yeah. getting the rough end of the stick uh, how do you think they'll fare against Barca <laughs> just like anyone who's going against yeah, Barca like, pretty much you know you can't see them pulling off what Chelsea pulled off a couple of years ago I mean it's, Arsenal just aren't that kind of sit on the ball defensive no. team that are just going it, to frustrate their matchup. way to a win in spectacular style but. yeah I think it's the most intriguing and most entertaining matchup I think the way those two teams play football I think it's it should be a really good um, yeah. two legged tie but it depends what Barca defence turns up whether it's going to be 6-0 or 6-5 really like, yeah, you know? yeah exactly but yeah I could still only see one team going through yeah I, I, I can't really see it I just yeah because I think every time and every Arsenal haven't had a great track record against um, Barcelona I think the last couple times I've watched Barca play Arsenal Messi seemed to single handle destroy them every time mm. yeah. and with the added bonus of having Neymar and Suarez outside you as well it's just yeah it's not looking good mm. yeah I think uh, that uh, it really depends on what Arsenal turns up uh, whether they'll be going out uh, all guns blazing or whether they'll be holding back and looking for a draw in the well, camp you'd in imagine the, the only way it would happen is if Arsenal turn up at their very very best yeah. and Barca turn up at their very very worst then mm. Arsenal might qualify on the away goals rule or something Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I saw an article in the Telegraph uh, a few days ago I'd say that uh, they issued an apology to Arsene Wenger about uh, about the criticism he's gotten over the years and one of them was uh, about his saying that he was tactically rigid and that this year he's been completely different he hasn't just been sticking to the one just oh, keep possession go and attack go and, go and score more goals he's actually shown that his side are capable of defending and uh, sucking up pressure when it needs to uh, what if what if they what way do you think they should approach the Barca game um, well, it's like who's had the proven formula for this one? Like who's had a, a you know a successful blueprint on how to beat this Barca team? Deportivo um, La Coruña, Celtic. Yeah, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you have to somehow just stop the tree-headed monster of Suarez, Neymar, and Messi. And then after that, if you can attack and you can take advantage of your chances, I think. But you just you got to somehow. It's just not like Arsenal are defensively fragile in general. You know they've. No, they're good at like okay. They did it against who was it? They went United, train it up early on, and actually managed to hold out and yeah. see a game. Yeah, but it's United who can't score a goal. You know, yeah, it's, the, uh, it's the same again on the weekend. Like went two 0 up and actually managed to hold it out again. So it's not like they're the same Arsenal team that we saw in the early noughties that would just free flow the goals and kind of we'll score more than you kind of thing. Mm. They have shown that if they get a lead, they're capable of sitting on it, but. 
you can't predict really what Neymar, Messi, and Suarez are going to do to you. And no, nah, they're going to maybe they should do another food poisoning job like they did the Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, can you see any other team other than say Barcelona or Bayern actually winning this Champions League, or could an English team actually do it this year? Um, probably PSG. PSG have been really good for most of the year. I think they're something like 16, 17 points on top of the mm. French league. Um, and they definitely, when I watched them play Madrid in the group stages, they definitely looked the better team. So I think PSG have a legitimate shot. The Juventus are always going to be there or thereabouts. Um, if they can bang in the goals, I think it's Dybala and Morata mm. seems to be their main threats up front. And yeah. I'm always kind of a bit iffy on Morata and big and games. And is playing extremely well. Oh, sorry, well Mandzukic as well. Yeah, he's been phenomenal. Um, yeah, how do I forget about him? Uh, so there's, yeah, there's a couple of players, but I, yeah, I do think Bayern and, and Bass are still probably my two. I think the two best teams in Europe, but I'd I'd watch out for PSG this year. Yes, we've we've I think we've had this conversation a couple of weeks ago, and it was kind of Juventus are the team that are probably most capable of beating the big dogs, and if yeah, if the, if the draw goes right, Juventus could knock out Barcelona, and then that might open a gap for PSG. But I can't see PSG doing it against Barca. They could probably beat Bayern. They did look really good against Real Madrid. They had so many chances. They won every stat in that game except. The, the one that mattered but um, I can't see Chelsea getting past them anyway like if you look on current form now compared to geez, I don't know how much can change between now and February but they should based on today or if they play tomorrow night they'd breeze past them and they'd be you'd in the corner. you'd have to imagine yeah you'd have to imagine sorry Breen it'd probably be like a 4 or 5 one aggregate you'd have to imagine yeah and we'll, we'll just move it on to uh, the other European competition another draw Another group of death for Ireland. Uh, <sighs> how do you think that these Euros are going to go? It's yeah. It's like how can we? Plan it's like it? Euro twenty twelve <laughs> over again, except, except this time third place can get us somewhere. Well, this time th- third place got us into, yeah. the, into the play into the you know the tournament. In the first and then place, third so. place can get us into a last sixteen round. And, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So it's. It uh, it's not great. Like let's not beat around the bush with it. It's not. Doesn't it remind you twenty twelve though, where like you know we just replaced Sweden with Croatia? And it's like, well, you know, we we could beat Sweden. Yeah, yeah. And I then we like, just need a draw against Italy, and oh, we could definitely do. It. And four you know points what? will be. Enough. We were so wrong the last time. I'm yeah. kind of scared to say yeah. it again this um, time. <laughs> Belgium, in my opinion, are just too good for us. They're too loaded all over the pitch. They got so many just fantastic. You run yeah. the back up. You go from Alderweireld and Vertonghen, Courtois. Then you go to the midfield, the Bruyne, Lukaku, Hazard, Hazard. Uh, Nangolin, like they, Axel Witzel. Yeah, they. It's just, it's like the more you list, it's the yeah, it's the Benteke. Uh, <laughs> it's like let's just not let's just call the spade, but and they're all. It seems perfectly timed for them to come into their prime as well. You this know, is like cause the World you know, Cup. Everyone is like they're, they're the too dark horse. early. They're too the early though for them. Everybody yeah. said you know they need one tournament and then give them Euro twenty sixteen and they'll be. This is sink or them. swim for them. Like in, in terms of maybe potentially taking out the whole tournament, like I think Belgium need a semi final mm. to really justify their legitimacy as an actual superpower mm. in, in European football. Um, and regards to Italy, Italy haven't been overly impressive though because you got to understand that Graziano Pelle is like their lead man. Up I like to take comfort in that. Yeah, so would I. I think if we can stop Lewandowski and we can stop. That, you if, know. if our striker plays on the same team as their striker, maybe <laughs> we're more for you around the same. Yeah, I've uh, <laughs> watched Pelle a fair bit. I'd be pos- I'd be quite confident that if Kyo and Clark continue in the same breath that they have for Pelle is a quality striker though. He's just on bad form at the moment. Like. He's not. Yeah, but he's not as quality though as Thomas Muller, Robert Lewandowski. Yeah. Or is Latin Eva him? Whatever happened to Ivan uh, Ciro Immobile? Is he just. Uh, he, 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 he went to Dortmund, I'm fairly sure, but I don't yeah. think he's got to look because Aubameyang has been absolutely tearing yeah. it up over yeah. there. Um, so last time I checked, but he was he was quite good going into the World Cup, so if he gets back on form, he's another one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Italy. Where are you, him? So, yeah, I was just Sevilla, checking out there now. Um. Yeah, but like Italy have a very strong midfield and a very strong defence, and they like they have the guts of a very strong defensive team. Mm. They got a lot of players in there between you know Chiellini and Marchisio. They're just they're the kind of team I don't think we can beat, but we can definitely draw with because we just tend to. Yeah. I don't know. They might even settle for the draw themselves. Like they're just kind of that. Uh, yeah, get themselves over the line type team. And, and they could also. I don't know when we played them, but say they have a bad start against Belgium or something, they get you know mm. destroyed. I mean, this is really hypothetical. So we're really yeah. looking for <laughs> like what could happen. But, um, but I think Sweden is our best chance of a victory, and I, I do say that with quite comfort as well. Because outside of Ibrahimovic, I think Ireland has a much better squad than than 
than Sweden. Um, so if we can stop Ibra, and we have dealt with top quality strikers before in the group stage. And the so. probability here is that three points will be enough to get you into the last 16. Because you'd imagine teams like maybe Albania, they're in Group A with France. Like they could be whipping boys. They don't get, like you're just looking for two teams out of the six groups to not get yeah. three points for you to yeah. qualify. And that's yeah. probable. Like, Well, I just think the biggest thing for us is goals. Um, we have to score. Uh, so again, against Belgium and Italy, we might be able to squeeze something out. Defensively, we're quite strong. Um, I was quite impressed by the defence over the campaign but it's just our goals and like if Shane Long isn't there and mm. if Shane Long's not coming in for him I kind of worry for us as to how we're going to get goals yeah it just seemed like uh, everything in the draw that could have went wrong went wrong for us I mean <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're waiting and we're holding like, out for like yeah. Hungary hold, that didn't we'll, come we'll Ukraine, hold out for that didn't come we're, we're, we had between we had either Belgium or Portugal give us Portugal Oh, we got Belgium. Yeah, yeah. Holding out for holding out for Hungary instead of Sweden, we get Sweden. Yeah, like it just seemed that everything that could have gone wrong went went yeah. wrong. Bad getting Germany at all, kind of like yeah. yeah. yeah poor Northern but, Ireland got them, and they got they Poland. got our group basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think I think we have to be very very cautious with what we say about whether Ireland can get through or not. I think it's we should take some comfort in the fact that. Uh, the third place gets through yeah but that, uh, that still means we have to we win still have to go and, and that get would a have to be Sweden and you well, know Sweden so, is yeah. going to be very much like the Poland game you know it's pretty much a very very average team yeah. with one outstanding unless we get the Belgium that was in the World Cup because Wales did beat Belgium as well like that's for, yeah. let's not forget that So we beat the world champions but well, yeah yeah. so that can't happen not right. a podcast goes by where that doesn't get a mention <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, I'm still but, almost parking uh, for Shane Long for the comeback I mean <laughs> Wales beat Belgium but Ireland don't have a Bale or a Ramsey no when you look at it mm. that way no, we have Johnny Walters we have we Johnny have Walters him. we have Shane Long <laughs> yeah, we have John no. O'Shea but uh, at the end of the day we can we can call them the best players at the end players. of the day we have John O'Shea <laughs> <laughs> we can thing. call them the best players in the world if we want but it's just not going to come true <laughs> yeah yeah the, yeah, the Ballon d'Ors are going to be lining up for that one <laughs> but uh what do you what do you think of England's group? They always seem to come out lucky in draws, and they, they did once Wales, again. Is Slovakia, Wales, yep. Slovakia, and Jack O'Toole's checking this. As I am, speak. yeah. Um, well, the Wales is obviously the big the big draw on that one. Um, yeah, I think from a fan's perspective, especially from Russia. Russia. Oh, it's the the playoff for the twenty eighteen yeah, World Cup. <laughs> 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 yeah, winner gets the World Cup. Uh, to be fair Russia aren't really much to fear they kind of went very very downhill since they decided that they're going to take all of their players from the domestic league mm. and they're just not I think like England get drawn with Slovakia or Slovenia nearly mm. every single qualifying campaign it's always yeah. one of the two they always seem to get them either in the, in the tournaments or the qualifiers um, a group that England should top um, I think Russia yeah, yeah, imagine you just so. imagine so um, Wales will probably give them a few headaches just because adrenaline's going to be running through that game but that's yeah. about as much as a hiccup they, they could probably afford to have I think Wales is their second game isn't it yeah yeah. yeah I definitely so think you know. I, I think it's between Wales and Russia for second yeah. in that one um, yeah. I'm still not very confident on England like bear in mind even though they had a really good campaign I'm still once I get to the knockout phase I definitely wouldn't be back yeah. if England past the quarterfinals but in terms of the group stages I'd have to say that they'd be favourites to top and they'll be rightly so yeah, they've got the. I don't know. It's it's like they can win. They're a really good team. But you put them against Germany, Spain, Italy, or France, and it's like they just won't believe they can win that kind of a game. Yeah. Despite having the players, they're just not. There's they something are, they're there. They're it's, perennial bottlers. It's their media kind of feeding into this idea as well that their training regimes have been wrong their whole lives, and all these countries are doing it so much better than they are. And despite having like a very decent team put together, it's, it's just as if a they're young kinda, team as well, though. Yeah, it's just as if they go, "No, nah, these guys have just learned better than us. We're not gonna." <laughs> mm. Yeah, there's. It always just seems to be the mm-hmm. hype, and you're just waiting for the England bubble to burst. Yeah, like, usually more often than not. Has. I don't know. The names just aren't as attractive as that golden generation from the reign, the 2002 to four. No, but I think there's like I think you know, with Kane, Vardy, uh, yeah, Klein. There's a couple Andy Barkley. Reed. Sorry, Andy Carroll. Andy Carroll. Okay, yeah. Oh, I hope he wants. gets on the plane. <laughs> yeah. He is going. Oh, he is going to, to France. On the plane. My lad chat from home has been called Andy Carroll for France for the past three years. <laughs> He's going to France. <laughs> I genuinely hope he does. He'd be, he'd bring something different to the table anyway. Yeah, like, you, you I need think that he's big a man's cane though. In every every facet, could, could it be could it be like a Ricky Lambert going to uh, yeah. the World Cup last year? Could be like that. But how much success did that have? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but well, sure. If you're ten minutes to go and you're a goal down or you're drawing and 
You're not passing just your way through. Stick Andy up. Carroll in there, you know. You might as well take Peter Crouch then at that rate. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might as well take Peter Crouch then at that rate. Right? Yes, well, he's Peter Crouch. He's big, but he, has he got the same strength as Andy? It's not really. He he's have good the at finding foot, didn't he? I'll take <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, lads, uh, I think we'll wrap it up with our football talk. We're going to move on to our backs back page story, which is personally my favourite story. We've got some absolute crackers this week. Okay, uh, Gary Lineker makes an unbelievable promise to host Match of the Day in his underwear if Leicester win the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> he wants Leicester to win the Premier League. Yeah, either that or he doesn't really have much fight in the but I can't which way. <laughs> Did he say what kind of underwear? He didn't. Oh. Tidy whities maybe. Maybe they're blue <laughs> <laughs> speedos. I'm kind of hoping Leicester don't win the Premier League on that account. But, um, I, don't, I don't know. I hope yeah, a bit of a bizarre statement. I hope Jimmy Vardy uh, keeps up the scoring record because I wouldn't want men Gary Lineker shaming himself live on TV <laughs> uh, David Louise claims to have found a cure for baldness as he attempts to save his famous Sideshow Bob hair what was that said again does he, he tell, does he tell us what the, the cure is or is he just going to bottle it and sell it like a secret potion it's it's just going to be like the potion that uh, Homer Simpson and his dad made uh, to oh. make you Make you good in the bedroom. I think it's just uh, <laughs> a concoction they're making up in his in his bathtub. Uh, uh, Louise not, not sure. Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Leicester fans uh, started a petition to have a statue of uh, Jimmy Vardy erected outside the King Power Stadium. Too soon? I think a little bit too soon. Like it's a great record and stuff like that, and 15 goals. But I think he needs at least I'd say two or three seasons for a warranty statue. I'd say. I don't know. I think he's done enough already. Have you? No, yeah. yeah. Maybe he can just rip it down if somebody ever comes along and breaks that record. Yeah. I think if it's a notable achievement, he's definitely going to get something to. Uh... Yeah, I suppose if you uh, if if they win the league, I think uh, maybe Mares and Vardy should be. Uh, no, it could if be. If they win the league, if they win the league, I'd say statues. Are yeah, if they yeah. win the league, I'd maybe for Leicester as a whole, it might make the area more of a tourist attraction. You know, it could be like let's go see the Jamie Vardy statue. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'd love to know will they will they have the armband on in the statue or what? is that going to work? Like, will, yeah. they the, will they just paint it blue? Will he be that? holding a blue wicket? Or <laughs> <laughs> his fingers maybe. Will it say like uh, chat shit get behind yeah. underneath <laughs> it? Like, <laughs> no, that's saved for his headstone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can't imagine. Uh, <laughs> you can't imagine that being written no, well, like, actually, uh, Bobby Ga- Moore's statue does Gary Lineker no. have a statue or yeah because he was one of the he best he's one? probably less his best player ever yeah what, le- what level do you have to be to get a statue I wonder I think if you win the league if they uh, win the league yeah. maybe yeah I think so um, we'll just give him his bar for now like sure yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> name a street after him uh, Saito Berahino has been slammed a waster by a West Brom legend who's the legend um, Tony Brown. Tony Brown. Oh, Brown. what's why? What's wrong with Barahino? Just, just for being Barahino, is it? Just or? for for saying he wants to leave the club, and then he said that he's made that clear for a he'll, while. He'll now. never, he'll never play in a, a West Brom jersey again, and yet uh, he just he, he can't seem to score this year when he's playing. Yeah. So his problem with Berahino is that Berahino tried to get a transfer away from West Brom and somebody else, whoever it was, trying to organise this transfer made a monumental disaster of it. Scapegoat yeah, Berahino. Yeah, I don't think the owner wants to let him go at all. That's, that's what I took away from it. But he, he hasn't been anywhere really near the same player that he was last year. Yeah, it can, so it can really be good It's for hard him. to get the baby. He's not going to get a move to Spurs unless he's playing, you know in the form that would warrant a move to Spurs and you know with their attacking options I don't think it's really gonna come true to him. I think his best job is just literally just shut up and just play and, and try and prove get back to the same form last year because you can't really it is you really lose a lot of your leverage when you're not in the same form. Can I understand it to a bit like because it Berahino is from Birmingham he's uh, well like he moved there in asylum and he has played for West Brom since he was 11 years old and now all of a sudden he's trying to leave so you can see where fans would have that bit of a resentment it's not like he's some kind of guy who's just come in for one season and now is trying to get a transfer away you know but I don't understand yeah it's it's a strange one to see like any team like it's he's not the only example of a team not allowing their player to leave who clearly doesn't want to play for the club why why would you want to keep him if he doesn't want to be there yeah, he's, yeah. Not, he's not going to be playing well then, you know what I mean? Mm. You're not going to give the best out of him. And like, they've, like, they've devalued him now completely. They're yeah, not exactly. going to get half the transfer funds that. that they would have got had they just let him go to. Was, yeah. was it Stoke that he was knocking on the door at their Stoke and Tottenham, I think. 
uh, Tottenham offered 18 or 20 million or something to get there and they're not even going to get close to that mm. the next time they sell, when they do sell because eventually they're going to have to sell Yeah. Um, but I think that's all we have time for this week and probably this year uh, as podcasts come could be could uh, very well could be could be our last podcast of 2016 uh, my favourite quote of uh, the year has to be it pretty much sums up uh, sporting in 2016 uh, Jamie Vardy taught me that uh, if you chat shit get banged but Conor McGregor uh, taught me that you can chat shit and not get banged <laughs> uh, that was Aidan Delaney from our uh, from our action replay I think that is the action perfect show. note to leave it on nobody Radio tries <laughs> yeah. yeah so basically yeah, have a happy Christmas and sort a of Merry New Year and try and if you're going out on New Year's Eve try not to chat shit and get banged <laughs> chat shit get banged everybody <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks to Jack O'Toole and Gavin O'Callaghan. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Guys.